It's good to see everybody tonight. Thank you for coming out to the Bible study. We're going to start our time in prayer and ask God's blessing. Father, thanks for uh, meeting with us tonight. We have gathered in the name of Jesus. We ask you that we would have really an open heart, open mind, and uh, that God, you would pour out your revelation. I pray that we would hear from you as individuals. We would hear from you as a group. And we ask you that you would teach us tonight. Uh, we pray for your Holy Spirit that he would bring your revelation into our lives, that he would bring your truth into our lives. And I pray that we would have ears to hear that truth and let it sink deeply into us uh, tonight. God, thank you for this opportunity and thank you for your presence. We ask you, God, that you would lead, you would guide, and that we'd be ready to receive we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can open up to Mark chapter 9 if you need a Bible. There's some available on the tables around the room. And you feel free to use one of those Bibles. But uh, Mark chapter 9 is where we're heading tonight. And again, as a quick reminder, we do have a feature for Bible study. If you'd like to participate and you're not physically present here, uh, it's called SpeakPipe, S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study is where you find it. Uh, there's a button there to toggle and you can leave us a question or a comment on anything to do with Bible study. We'd be happy to listen to that, hear what you have to say, answer any question you might have, but uh, we just ask you to like, take part. That's one way you can do it. So SpeakPipe dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. So Mark chapter 9, verses 30 and 31. Anybody like to volunteer to read that? Mark 9, 30 through 31. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were, because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. Alright, thanks for reading that. Kind of interesting, uh, you're reading out of one of the table Bibles here? Yes. Oh, sorry. So that's like an IV. Kind of some interesting stuff that uh, I'm going to point out uh, in the passages that uh, the NIV chose to change a little bit on it, uh, and I'll explain why that is in just a few moments. But uh, Mark 9, 30 and 31, uh, we have a story, an account of Jesus with his disciples, and uh, they were walking from Caesarea Philippi, and they were passing through Galilee, uh, moving through Galilee on their way to Jerusalem, and they were taking a route that they wouldn't normally take, a route they wouldn't normally take. They were bypassing the cities, and therefore likely bypassing any of the major routes or any of the major roads, and they were making their way through Galilee in somewhat in a private fashion. And uh, again, they're on the way to Jerusalem. This is uh, Jesus heading toward Jerusalem on his way there. And uh, we know that as he would move on to Jerusalem in his life, he, he would be going there to uh, die. He'd be going there to fulfill that which the Father had for him and his purpose and his plans for his life. So they were heading out privately, uh, not going through the cities, so they're not really meeting up with big crowds, not really meeting up with a lot of people. Uh, and literally, what we're seeing here 
the word and the and the phrase that's being used here is that they were moving. They were passing through Galilee. And that's where we're seeing this story was in the midst of them passing through. So this isn't after the fact. This isn't before the fact. This is while it was going on. They were actually walking and moving. And Jesus was taking care of business all at the same time. He was having a conversation with His disciples, which He considered more important than popularity or ministry at the time, at least to the crowds. So what He had decided was that He was going to skip the crowds, He was going to skip the cities, He was going to skip whatever was going to take place in those places. Uh, Normally what would take place, He would teach, and then He would heal, and people would come by, and there would just be big crowds of people that would come out to hear Him and come out to receive what He was going to do. But he considered what he was doing with his disciples more important. And I just want you to think about that for a second. <coughs> I want you to think about the priority that he placed on discipleship. The priority he placed on teaching 12 guys instead of thousands of people. And let that speak to you about how he prioritizes in the kingdom. Just a little bit. Just think about it. And think about how we, as a people, prioritize and what we consider to be, even in the, I guess, the, the most basic sense, what success is. And what our role is in the kingdom and what the role is of teachers and disciples in the kingdom. And what receives the most priority over the other thing. And I know this is just one story, but want to count, but I want you to think about it a little bit. And I want you to think about all the cities that he was passing. I want you to think about all the crowds that he gave up. I want you to think about all the people that could have heard, could have responded, or all the people that could have been healed, or all the people that could have been delivered as he was walking, as he was going from place to place and he was traveling toward Jerusalem. But in this moment and at this time, he made a different kind of a decision. And so something else proved more important to him in that moment. And that was his disciples. That was teaching them. That was taking the time to have a conversation with him. And the Bible tells us, and it says why he skipped the cities and why he skipped. So if there's any doubt in your mind why he may have skipped out on the crowds and everything, it tells us what it was. It says the reason was so that he could teach his disciples. He could talk to his disciples. He could speak into their lives. And so again, you see a word there in the same way and in the same understanding of the word that they were traveling, that they were passing through Galilee. In other words, they were in motion. They were doing it. And that's the account that we have here. The word that he was teaching his disciples wasn't that he taught them or he was going to teach them, but he was in the process of of teaching them, and that's the account that we're reading here tonight. So as they're passing through, he's teaching them. This is an ongoing thing that's taking place. And so his teaching them was taking priority, was proving more important than the other things that he could have been doing, which were many different things he could have been doing. And so there's a priority being placed on discipling the the people that he had. Now we know that he's 
spends his time and he takes all his time to disciple. And, and I'm going to say this so you don't get frustrated with yourself. So he's taking this time to disciple them. He's taking this time to teach them. But then if you look in Luke 24, 21, uh, what you see there is the disciples at the time of the crucifixion all confused, all upset. And what's Jesus talking to them about here in Mark 9? What's He talking about? Being killed and rising again in three days. Right. So He's giving them, and it's not just a statement. In other words, that's what I'm talking about. This is a process He's teaching them as they're passing through. How long did it take them to pass through? We don't know. It could have been days. They're walking. And so over this period of days, He's teaching them And the theme of His teaching, the outline of His teaching is that the Son of Man will be betrayed into the hands of men and they're going to kill Him, but in three days He'll rise again. So He's taking the time away from ministering to the multitudes, away from ministering in the cities, away from the healing ministry, the deliverance ministry, the teaching ministry that He had. All of those things He has set aside time and He's prioritizing and He's pouring into His disciples. We know exactly what He's teaching them and what He's talking to them about. And that is, is that He's going to be betrayed, that He's going to be killed, and He's going to rise again in three days. So lest you be disappointed in yourself or frustrated with yourself, these disciples were being taught for days on this subject. But then you look in Luke 24-21, And they're all upset. Why are they upset? What does 24-21 say? Did I get the right verse? Oh, it had been three days since he died. Okay, but what do they say? Um, 24-21? Yeah. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. Alright, so, does that sound like the voice of faith to you? No. Alright, because it's not the voice of faith. Even though he had set aside all this time to teach them, and as they were walking, he's teaching. It sounds so awesome, doesn't it? And he's telling them about things to come, and he's telling them exactly what's going to happen. But then when it happened, after it happened, as she just read, what are they saying? Well, we thought that he was going to be this, this, and this. And it's already been three days since he died, so I mean, whatever. But ladies went to the tomb and couldn't find him there. Yeah, well, they couldn't find him. We don't know what happened. See, but he told them what happened. This wasn't a mystery anymore. Go ahead. The one, uh, verse 32 said they didn't understand the saying and they were afraid to ask him. Right. <laughs> right. And that verse, I have a whole other teaching on that verse, so I really don't want to get into this too much. But the other teaching I have on this verse is, is that they were willingly ignorant because of their fear. And so the disciples lived willingly in ignorance because they were afraid. Take that back to where we are now. I know we get frustrated with ourselves because... We hear the same things over and over again, but we don't see the change in our life. Well, we're not the first ones that had that issue. 
Other people have had that issue. Thousands of years of people have had the same issue. And the issue is, is that the truth is the truth is the truth. And the truth can be spoken of numerous times. And But there comes a day, hopefully, where that truth really takes root. And it's not necessarily the person teaching it. Because, I mean, Jesus was teaching this, right? He was the teacher. And He was teaching them this. And yet it didn't take root in them yet. Maybe there was something that stuck. Maybe there was some truth that stuck. Maybe there was a piece of it that stuck, but it really didn't take root in them. Because when it came right down to it, when Jesus was arrested, they all ran away. They were afraid. After Jesus was crucified, they were hiding in a room because they were afraid. Word didn't get out that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. They, they found out the women came back from the tomb and said, He's not there anymore. Peter's like, I don't believe it. Runs out to see it. Thinking to themselves, I wonder what happened. Didn't take root. It just didn't take root. All this being taught here wasn't taking root in them. And here's what I, I glean from this. I encourage myself from this as a teacher. Here's how I encourage myself. If Jesus spent days teaching on three things and it didn't take root in these people, then I can't be very discouraged that everything I say doesn't take root in people. Right? Do you understand what I'm saying? i got to look at it through a bigger picture that there is truth going out, there's truth being spoken, and, and God knows when it takes root. That's up to Him. But I, I do believe that all these things that they were taught during the ministry of Jesus, there came a point in their lives, the disciples, I'm talking about specifically, where their eyes were opened and they were given more understanding. And that could have been the day that fear was finally and, and ultimately defeated, at least in this area of their life. I think fear is one of the big hindrances for our hearts and our minds being open and for our understanding to be open. I really believe that. And I think that there's a reason why it, they, they have that in that passage where they didn't understand what Jesus was saying. And it said, but they were afraid to ask. They'd rather live in ignorance. See, fear stops the process in us. Pride too. What is pride? And I and I want to and, and and I mean you can you can trace a lot of stuff back to roots, okay? But pride is kind of an interesting thing because pride isn't really based in fact. Pride is based in fantasy. But what does the fantasy serve? And so the the idea behind pride and the reason that we allow pride in our lives is that there's something I believe that we don't want to see. And so we make something up. And so whether that's a fear-based thing or however you want to see that, you can see it whatever way you want. It's, uh, it's something that needs to be defeated in us or we're not going to be understanding, we're not going to be receiving, we're not going to be uh, open to and, 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 and really taking in the revelation that God has for us if we're living in fear. And so fear must be defeated in this area of our life. And, and however it manifests, control, new things, 
Whatever it is. I don't know. Change? What do we fear the most? What's stopping us from really taking hold of the revelation that God has for us? What's stopping us from really taking a hold of, of the things that God wants to speak into our hearts, into our lives? Simple things even like that He loves us. Simple things that He forgives us. Simple things that He's pleased with us. How many times has He said those to us? How many times can He say those over and over again and we still can't hear it? Really? Yep, really. Really. Same as these guys. You look at them and it's like, how could they not understand this? Well, I mean in the same way, how could you not understand that God loves you? How could you not understand that He is on your side? How can you not understand He likes you? How can you not understand His forgiveness is bigger, His love is bigger, His mercy, His grace are bigger? How could you not understand that? Somebody reading our story may look at that and say, what are they? What's wrong with them? Really? So, so yeah, they didn't understand. And, and even though he, he was sitting there and he was talking to them and he was teaching them and he was conversing with them, understand that everything that he was doing here was by design. This is what it was. And there's a design component to this that He wants to speak into our lives about what to prioritize and what to find important. There were times where He would withdraw <laughs> completely and He would go and be by Himself. Why? Because that was important. There's a design element to that that we can learn from, we can take from. There were times that, 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 he, would, that he was alone with His disciples or that He was in front of a crowd of people and He would turn His back to the crowd in order to teach His disciples in that moment. That was by design. There's a priority there that, that He's showing. And we need to understand Him skipping all these cities right here. There's a design element in this that we need to understand. And yeah, he did teach the crowds. And yeah, he did he did uh, minister deliverance over people. And yeah, he did heal the sick. He did those things. But he did other things too. And at certain times, at certain moments, at certain places, and for certain reasons, he prioritized other things. And so you, you can't take one thing and say, well, this is it, this is all that's important, because there's more than this important than that. And taking time and being with our Father and being alone with our Father, that's important. Taking time and, and, and discipling and spending time pouring into people in small groups, that's important. And taking time to minister to others and to pray deliverance and healing and wholeness over people and to evangelize, that's important too. So, so he, he by design, He does this and He's teaching them along the way. And He makes a statement. Here's one of the places I was saying, Cam, that's a little bit different. He makes a statement here and, and the, the truth of the language of it was this, is that here's what He says, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men. That's what He says. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men. And so I want to emphasize the word is. He doesn't say he's going to be. And the original language is true on this. 
He doesn't say he's going to be delivered into the hands of men. He says he is delivered into the hands of men. And he's not in Jerusalem yet. He's not there yet. But he will speak that which is going to be. He's speaking as it is now. There's something for us to learn about that. There's something for us to learn about faith. There's something for us to learn about the Word of God. There's something for us to learn about how to speak about things in our lives. He spoke about that He is delivered into the hands of men in a present tense, even though it hadn't even happened yet. Now, how would you apply that to faith? How how would you think about the things that aren't yet, but to you they are? You see, that is faith. The evidence of things not seen. All right. (coughs) This is before. But he knows what's going to happen. And so by looking ahead and understanding that, by having the Word, I mean, the Father had spoken to him. He knew. He knew what was coming. As sure as he knew the sun was going to rise or what was going to happen the next day, he knew this was coming. And so he was able to speak of it as it is. Not even as it will be. And so to me, that inspires me to begin to look at some of the things that God said over my life. And to begin to see them differently. There's certain things I've been waiting on that God spoke over me. I've been waiting on for a lot of years. It doesn't mean they aren't, does it? No. No. It means that as I believe Him, which I do, as I believed His Word when He gave it, and I still believe it to this day, even though time has passed, circumstances have changed, things are different than they were, all these things are different than it was when I first received that Word, but it still is. And in my heart and in my mind, I still know it is. Even though I can't see it, you know, like in the physical. Even though I haven't experienced it yet. And I've experienced a ton of things that God said over me. And there's a ton of things that have come to pass. There's a ton of things that, that have happened. Just like He said they were going to happen. And yet there's a few things that I still wait for. There's a few things that I'm still I'm looking ahead to. It's like, yeah, it's there. Well, to me, I've got to start living. It's here. Right? I don't know when, but it's here. I don't know when it's going to be manifest, but it's here. And I'm not talking about weird <laughs> hyper-faith. I'm not talking about anything super weird here about stuff we're making up and making happen or anything like that. I'm talking about what God has already said. I'm talking about what's in the, in the Scriptures. I'm talking about a sure word. I'm talking about something that, that, that we received and that we know is as sure as we know anything. That's what I'm talking about. And living in that now even if it hasn't manifest yet. And I hope you can understand the difference between the two things I was just describing. Because I think sometimes people take something like this and they will create a situation where they're going to make something happen. You're not going to make anything happen. You're just living in what God said. And there's a big difference between those two things. 
I'm not going to make a proclamation of faith like this is going to happen. Just make it up and then just believe like it's today and make it come to pass. That's not what I'm talking about at all. But I am talking about taking a hold of what God has said and living in it. Now. Now. And I think there is a power in that. And I think there is an anointing that God wants us to live under and in. I mean, Jesus, look at Him. He was anointed. He was anointed with the Holy Spirit. And He could speak something like this. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men. It's sure. The near future is the present. You see? It is what it is. To Him, it's done already. Already present. Already now. He's already living in that. Already. And there's something about what he says there, and in in, in Luke nine forty four, it's coming you know coming up just a few verses later. Somebody want to read verse forty four of Luke nine? Just read what it says. Listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. All right. And what that, that phrase there, listen carefully, is kind of an interesting phrase because what, what it really means there is it says, let this, these sayings, sink down into your ears. <coughs> I mean, it's a picture of it sinking down into your ears. Let that happen. Because what He wants them to understand and what He wants us to understand is that there are just certain things here that we need to grab a hold of that the disciples needed to grab a hold of even in that moment. And they weren't able to. And I'm not sure that we'll be able to here tonight either, but I at least want to speak it over us. That what He is saying here, I mean, these words that He's using, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men. Living in this moment, living in what God says. Not as something in the future, not as something that, that is coming, not as something that, or any of those things, but actually taking hold of what God says and living in it now. There's something powerful about that. Let that sink down into our ears. To be that sure, to be that done already, to be that absolutely present right here and right now. There's something powerful about that. Because there's always uncertainty. Always. And circumstances are going to be uncertain and, and situations are <coughs> excuse me, going to be uncertain. And things sometimes seem really unlikely. Like they're not going to happen or, or they might not happen or it might be unknown if they can happen or it might seem impossible or unexpected or whatever those things are that happen within our circumstances and happen within our situations in our life. There's something about having a sure word. There's something about living in the moment, living in our circumstance, regardless of what it is, in the knowledge, understanding of this is now. That God's Word is now. That circumstances change, people change, things around us change, but His Word is now. Where? Right here. Where am I? In the midst of whatever circumstance I'm in. What's that circumstance going to do? That's going to change. His Word's changing, it's not changing. 
How much stronger am I living in the present with His Word than being tossed to and fro by every circumstance and every situation? It's a lot stronger to be present with His Word now. You're stronger, I'm stronger, we're stronger together. If we let these sayings sink down into our ears. That in the face of the unlikely, the unknown, the impossible, the unexpected, we can stand a lot stronger instead of being tossed around and being ruled by the drama of the moment. And some people like to be ruled by the drama of the moment. I don't think that's healthy at all. I think it can be exciting. I just don't think it's healthy. And I think this nice, boring approach of God has said this, and this is where I'm going to live, is a lot more healthy. I think it's a lot more healthy for our hearts and our spirits, a lot more healthy for whatever else is anxiety, fear, turmoil, all those kind of things that, that just that just get in and, and rip us apart. Something to be said for a good, boring, <laughs> solid faith. I mean, seriously. Something to be said for it. So I want you to look at a different part of that say. So the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men. I want you to think about the other part of that. The Son of Man is being delivered into the hands of who? Men. Right? Right. <laughs> right. Hey, so, do, do you see how that makes sense? Or not? The Son of Man. Okay, what's he identifying as? A man. Right, and you see that throughout the Gospel of Mark, particularly, you see him identified as the Son of Man. Now, in other Gospels, he's identified more as the Son of God. But in some of the, certain places, certain times, he's identified as the Son of Man. And I think it's kind of interesting. Yeah, he self-identifies here. He says, the Son of Man is, is delivered. In other words, this is what has already happened, or is happening right now, is delivered into the hands of men. So he is identifying with man whom he is delivered into the hands of. Man. And what are they going to do to him? They're going to kill him. Alright. So he is identifying with the people who are going to kill him. Self-identifying with them. That's his choice. Alright? He is saying, this is who I am. And this is a valid self-identification. Alright? He's saying, this is who I am. These are the people that are going to kill me. I'm identifying with those people. And there's a kind of weird phenomenon. Alright? There's kind of a weird thing. Have you ever heard of the term deicide? Deicide. means to kill your God. All right? It's a popular term. It's a popular uh, thought in literature. It's a popular thought in 
mythologies, stories, movies, fantasy, video games. You see this as something that is a popular idea among people, men, in the general sense. So the Son of Man is identifying with man, with people. And with people, they are going to take him and they're going to kill him. What's attractive about that? Well, let me, let me back up. Not attractive to you, but what do you think is attractive to people that we have whole mythologies, stories, movies, fantasy, and video games about it? It makes you feel powerful. It makes you feel powerful. Why? Because they're killing their own God. Right. Because it gives them a sense of, you know... Why would you want to kill your own God? This is a this is valid question. I mean, this is a real question. I'm, I'm really asking the question. Why? You don't have to obey him. Well, you, you, you don't have to obey him anymore. Okay. Why else? From the restraint, the constraints of... And uh, it elevates you to God with yourself. Okay. You All right. take the place of that God. Okay, so you're set free from whatever perceived constraints you might have. You're set free from any obedience you might have to render, all right, or any or any kind of tribute you may have to render, and you place yourself into a deified position. You become your own god. You are your own god. The idea of God being dead. Anybody know where that originated? Okay, it originated uh, mainly with post-Enlightenment philosophers. And the idea behind that was that the Enlightenment elevated, and, and you have to think about this and remember your history classes about what the Enlightenment was all about. And I'm not downplaying the Enlightenment because it brought us out of the Dark Ages. And so I'm not really, you know, I'm not saying this, this inherently anything wrong with it, but what the Enlightenment did in the minds of some people is that it elevated us to the highest position of authority to decide what was right, what was wrong, how things were made, how things work, how things are going to go, and we became, in a sense, our own gods. And so the idea after the Enlightenment, some of the ideas that philosophers were wrestling with is was the idea, is God dead? In other words, have we outgrown Him? Have we outgrown the idea? Have we become more than we were and therefore have we killed our own God? Or, or killed the need for God. Correct. And so, the answer to that then became a matter of philosophical debate. Why do we like that? Why do we like, why do we want to believe that? I mean, I used to find the, the idea of like the scientific method to be fascinating and, and super attractive. I really did. I wanted to believe that, that 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 would help me understand anything. I wanted to believe that. 
I wanted to believe I could break down anything into a series of trials and, and looking at it in different ways and, and, and at the end understand it more than I did before. I wanted to believe that. That's what Adam wanted in the garden. He wanted to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He wanted to possess that knowledge. He wanted to be like God. Correct. We are cursed with this. This is that that is the basic answer to all of this is that we are cursed because of our disobedience in the garden. We choose and chose and continue to choose to live by that knowledge. And because of that, because of that, we have become like gods ourselves in our own minds. Isn't that what God said about Adam and Eve? Yeah. That's what He said. And, and what He meant by that is that in our own minds, we can somehow come to a place where we actually can believe that. Not that it's true, just that it is. And they were cast out of the garden, lest they eat of the tree of the knowledge, lest they ate of the tree of life and live forever. Because the great equalizer is you can think you're as smart as you want to think you are. You can think you're brilliant. You can think you're the best. You can think you are the awesomest. You can convince other people of that. You can convince people of whatever philosophy you want to convince them of. You can convince them that you're God, they're not, whatever you want, or we're all gods or whatever. You can convince them of anything you want. You know what the great equalizer is? You're going to die. That's right. That's right. Every person that rises up and says they're God's going to die. They all died. Every single one of them. Every emperor died. Every one of them. They're all dead. Every one of them. That's always the great equalizer to that idea. It's like, yeah, I'm the greatest. Then you're dead. Yeah. So... So, so God, in His wisdom, He's like, yeah, I mean, if you want to run off in that fantasy, you go right ahead. Go right ahead. You're still going to die. And that was the limit. That was what He allowed for. He's like, go ahead. I'm allowing this, but here's the limit to that. Death. That's it. And so, as attractive as that is, and as, 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 as much as we, we're thinking that or whatever, we've got to understand that to be the knowledge of good and evil just run amok in our minds, or in our society, or among certain people groups, or however you want to see that. But that's exactly what it is. And it manifests itself in those ways. And so the Son of Man, He handed Himself over and He identified... To, to men who were going to just kill him. Because they decided he was wrong. They decided that he was a blasphemer. They decided that he was sinful. And they killed him for that. Even though he was none of those things. And they were absolutely wrong about that. He chose to identify with them anyway. And so I really want to encourage you in something here. And that is that Jesus chooses to identify with you. And, and if you think about it, if He chose to identify with the people who, who physically killed Him and beat Him 
and spat upon him and, and caused him pain and anguish and mocked him and all of those things. If he made that decision ahead of time and he chose to, to identify with them, he's choosing to identify with you today. And as bad as you think you are, you're probably not that bad. Well, maybe you are. But who cares? He still wants to identify with you. That's the point. And so that would require us to let that sink deeply into our ears tonight. To, to leave behind some bad ideas about this. To leave behind some bad ideas about Jesus and, and who He chooses to identify with. And who He chooses to use. And who He chooses to allow to represent Him. And who He chooses to want to represent Him in the world and in the kingdom today. You, me. That, that He makes a decision that He is going to take the time to teach us. He makes a decision that, that He is going to, by design, pour into our lives over and over and over again. Let it sink deeply into your ears. Let it sink deeply into your ears that, by design, that He wants us to live in the now for what He said. And some of those things that we haven't manifest yet, that's okay, we can still live in it. We talk about the kingdom, we're living in the kingdom. We're talking about the power of God, we're living in the power of God. We're talking about the presence of Jesus, we're living in the presence of Jesus. You want to talk about the glory of God, we live in the glory of God. And it doesn't always manifest. It's not always apparent or it's not always seen. But it's there and we're in it. That's our statement of faith. That's who we are. We live in forgiveness. We live in mercy. We live in grace. We live, we're found seated with Him in heavenly places. Right now. That's what Ephesians says. Paul got it. This is where I am. I'm going to make that statement. Let that sink deeply into our ears. Let it sink deeply into our ears that Jesus is identifying with you tonight. Even though in, in parts of our lives, in times in our lives, we've com committed our own form of deicide out of rebellion, out of disobedience, out of pride, out of fear. Yeah, it's a reason it's such a popular idea. It goes deep into us. Deep into a curse that was put into us thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. A curse that actively has to be resisted in our hearts and our minds. That we can be set free from. When we're born of the Spirit. We don't have to live under that anymore. Today, right now, we don't. We can live in the now, right now. Yeah. Sounds silly. So getting back to our enlightenment friends, so I'm going to close with this idea. They've made a choice of rational thought over revelation. 
And I'm going to suggest that as God's people, we don't throw out rational thought. Don't do it. It's nice to think rationally. I appreciate it when you think rationally. But rational thought doesn't trump revelation. Revelation trumps rational thought. Otherwise, it'd never be a healing. It'd never be a miracle. It'd never be uh, a word of knowledge or a word of prophecy. It'd never be any of those things. Because from a human perspective and from a rational perspective, they don't make sense. But revelation trumps rational thought. And in the world we're living in, rational thought's had its day. And and like I said, I'm not throwing out rational thought. I'm just saying that's had its day as God. It didn't work. People aren't satisfied. They're just not. And there is an outcry. And I believe... There is a real moment that we're living in that we've been living in for probably the last 20 years and it's been growing for the last 20 years where people want and are crying out and they need a revelation. Something. Something that they didn't think of themselves. They want a revelation. We're those people. We're people of Revelation. This this place was born in Revelation. It was born from Revelation. I was born out of Revelation in my spiritual life. And everything I've ever known that meant anything was born out of Revelation. So we are a people of Revelation. We're that. We just need to live in it. Now. Uh, let's take a few moments. Anybody have any questions or comments that they want to make? Anybody? Anything want to say? Any clarification? Don't be willingly ignorant because you're afraid to ask. Yes, can. <laughs> uh, you mentioned don't throw uh, rational thought. Yeah. Does that mean... Throw out. Oh, you said throw out. I said throw out. Oh, yeah. Probably unclear. Yeah, don't throw it out. Well, I, you're saying about effective. Um, like when Jesus was speaking about what was going to happen when he was speaking like it had already taken place. That, mm-hmm. that way of speaking is a way of faith. Mm-hmm. It's like, and we can do that. Mm-hmm. And that's cool. Yeah, it's just, I mean, there's absolutely, there's just certain things that are that are set. And we need to live in that. We really need to live in that. Yeah. It just is. <clears throat> good thing to keep in mind when we receive prophetic words from each other, to hold them in that manner. That's why we want to record or write it down, or both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Rebecca? 
I just I just want to challenge something here. Okay. Um, and the, when Jesus predicted his death in Matthew, the account of Matthew, it says Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him and said, Never, Lord, never, this will never happen to you. And Jesus turned to him and said, Get behind me, Satan, you are a stumbling block to me. You do not have the mind in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Uh-huh. And I I was reading a chapter in a book recently by Bill Johnson, and he um, he said that any human thinking, because we're not, we're a new creation, and we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven, so that any thinking that lines up with human concerns or the human mind or uh, any agreement with the natural laws is like agreement with the devil, mm. <clears throat> which is a bold statement. But I mean, to me, there's some validity to that because if we are new creation and we're supposed to take every thought captive and we're supposed to have the mind of Christ, I mean, our minds should be renewed. And that doesn't necessarily follow the line of rational thought in my thinking. It's kind of, it doesn't wash with me right now. Okay. Well, do you think Bill Johnson drives a car? Okay. Do I think he puts gas in it? Yeah. Okay, why? (laughs) That's a rational thought. (laughs) Right. I mean, that's a rational thought. I mean, why? (laughs) Maybe, maybe. If the car runs out of gas, can you pray and ask God to... Run it further, yeah. Absolutely. Experience that. Yeah. Outside of the natural laws. Absolutely. But when we get these thoughts in our head, like, wow, that was a huge mistake. I'm a real failure. Like, things like that are detrimental to the Christian thinking. Those are agreement with the devil because we are not that. Right. It is not who we are. Right. I agree with that. Okay. Yeah, what I was trying to say is, though, that we're not unthinking. People, you know. In other words, I don't have to shut my brain off to experience miracles. That's why I was saying Revelation has to trump that; just has to. And if it doesn't, then we're not going to experience supernatural at all, because the rational doesn't allow for that, really. So that—that's the shift I'm looking for. Is that I'm not trying to throw it out. Completely, but I want to reprioritize what matters. Right. So, yeah. Because I don't think the church was healthy when there was no rational thought, really. When everything was just superstition and and believing whatever people said. What was that? Like the Dark Ages. I don't think that church was at its best during that time. Right. So did they know scripture even in the dark? No, no. Why would they need to? They were told what to believe, you know. And they had stained glass; they could just look at the story. (laughs) But um, and paintings and stuff. (laughs) But but yeah. So 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 to me that there's this place, and and I understand what you're saying because if that is too strong in us, then we believe lies. I think I think my concern too is that, um, like, if I call my mom and and say anything to her at all, she'll mm-hmm. be like, "Oh, 
well, maybe you should go to the doctor. That could be this or that or the other thing. Or right. I don't tell her anything because her she would much rather find the wickedness and the evil in my flesh than believe that God has got something greater. You know, and I think that, you know, even as Christians, we just start to rely so much on, well, I read this and I heard this and they say you should stay away from that and you shouldn't do that. Well, you know what? In our ignorance... We're probably taking in carcinogens all the time. Right. But in our in our assurance and in our faith, we can be protected from all of that because we can live above that. It, it was kind of interesting when uh, years ago I felt like I was supposed to become an EMT, and as I was in class, I can remember the first time I was in class and I was reading about sickness and body function and you know, anatomy and cell function and all this other stuff. And I can remember as I was reading it, I remember praying. I'm like, God, I pray this never interferes with just believing that you heal. I don't want to know more than I need to know that it's going to stop me from just believing you heal. You know, like even if I don't know how things happen or things work or anything, you know. Sometimes we're better off. Yeah. Like a car. Like you don't know how cars work, but you can pray for for your car to be healed. You know, or something. Right. Yeah. You're better off. Yeah. You know, like like I might hear something and think, oh boy. I know what that is. Yeah. And then I'm not in as good a spot to pray for healing as somebody else. And I know that. But I always pray that God is pray that never interferes. You know, with with just believing you for the supernatural. So, so it, it's almost a willing lay it down. Let revelation trumpet. Let it happen. Anybody else? All right, let's pray. Father, thanks for just we thank you for your love and we thank you, Jesus, that you teach us and you take the time to pour into us as your people, as your disciples. Yeah, I just pray that your truth could take hold in us. More of your truth would take hold in us tonight. I pray for more of this truth to take hold in us tonight. I ask you that uh, we would be open to that and open to you taking that and putting it deep in us. That this conversation, that this teaching would find a place deep in us, this talk would find a place deep in us, that it would go deep into our ears and into our understanding in Jesus' name. And I pray that we'd be a people of faith, that as your word is, is spoken, that it is. And I pray we can live in that now. I just ask you that we live in your truth now. We live in your, your reality now. We live in what you've spoken now. And teach us that kind of simple faith. And I pray, God, too, that regardless of our circumstances, Regardless of how unlikely or what it seems like or the impossible or whatever it is that we just live in your truth. That revelation would 
always trump whatever it is we could think of or whatever else. I pray your revelation is more precious to us. Your revelation is more important. Your revelation is more powerful in our life. Jesus, I, I just pray that you would continue to settle feelings of unworthiness in us, of inadequacy and all the rest of those kind of things. Because you choose to identify with each one of us here and now. Whatever our spot is, wherever we're at, the weaknesses we have, failures, whatever. Whatever we call it, whatever we say it is, God. I just want to say thanks that you still identify with us. You want to identify with us. You're with us. <coughs> so Jesus, thank you. Thank you for that kind of love. Thank you for that kind of grace. Thank you for that kind of mercy. Thanks for loving us like that. I pray, God, that our fears would subside and that we would find ourselves just taking hold of you and your truth and the life you give. We ask it in Jesus' name. Let's agree by saying amen. 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 Good to see everybody tonight. Thank you for coming.